For the crumbs. Yeah, right. <laughs> like your dinner? Yeah. That shrimp was right. <laughs> yeah, it was good, right? Do they know what? You know, like what I'm about. What you mean, D? Come on. You know, it's like, get all dressed up, right? Come all the way across town, fancy place like this. After we finish, we're gonna go down to the hall, we'll walk around a little bit, you know, acting like we belong down here, you know what I'm saying? So? Your money good, right? D, we ain't the only black people in here. It ain't about that. It ain't what I'm talking about. It's about where we... Well, you know. I'm just saying, you know, I feel like some shit just stay with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did you try? You still can't go nowhere, you know what I'm saying? Can I interest you in dessert? Uh, yes, thank you. Can I have some chocolate cake? I'll bring the cart. Boy, don't nobody give a damn about you and your story. You got money, you get to be whatever you say you are. That's the way it is. Oh, sir, I'm sorry. These are the samples. And for you, sir? Very good. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Grill. How long on that steak, Mister? Seven minutes, Chef. Seven minutes. Thank you. This is episode ninety-eight. We are recording to you from South Lake Union, Seattle, Washington, Studio Two One Two, part of the Soundcasting Network. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. My name is Bobby Stills. I am a uh, cook slash. Some people call me a chef. I still Entrepreneur. get. Whatever, I do a lot of shit. <laughs> Mostly crack rocks. Well. Um, across from me, way across the studio, is, uh, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Johnny Toonami here in the studio. He is the co-host of this wonderful podcast. In studio is not our producer, Queef Boogie, a.k.a. Producer dropping uh, a deucer. C- couple deucers, uh, Risotto Kid. Uh, we also have uh, Johnny and Sarah's came together and formed a super big head baby. And <laughs> she's gonna hate you for saying that. Um, my son is in studio, Harlem Makai Reyes. Which I love that. I love that. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the restaurant industry don't get a lot of time. We've talked about on the show to do things outside of work. So whenever they're allowed to do things outside of work and they are, can bring their kids along. So I always encourage Johnny to bring his child into studio. Say hi. Uh, plus, very, very cute baby. Today on this episode, we're going to be uh, doing a little quick, short episode. Sorry about last week, you guys. I know it took me a while to get the episode. You know that? Yeah, what happened? I just got busy and I left my computer downtown and I was just, I've been really, 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 really crunched for time lately because I've been at work long hours. Okay. I, still, I still haven't been able to hire anybody uh, to get my back. So it's kind of been- After me. Ham Ham? 
Yeah, Hammy's gone. He uh, he wants to call into the show. He ended up not working at the place he was going to work at, but he's at a better place, he says. Oh, cool. So I don't know what exactly transpired, but he was like, I want to call into the show and give you guys an update. And I was like, you've only been there like a week. <laughs> Let's make sure you get to keep your job. Get you know, settled. You don't fly. He's going to give us an update. Be flying back up here. <laughs> we haven't got much feedback from our last episode because it literally just came out while we're recording this. Uh, hopefully you guys listen to episode 97 give us some feedback and maybe next week we can talk about it we'll probably have a guest Um, I think I have booked a guest for episode 100 but on this episode I would like to talk about David Chang Uh, last week's episode we had talked about his new show called Ugly Delicious on Netflix I believe it is 8 episodes 10 episodes 10 10 episodes Johnny's feature Johnny's restaurant and uh, his uh, head chef Executive chef, chef owner is featured on. Maybe he's in the end of the season too. So I've only made it to episode eight. So maybe he's featured in it a couple other episodes. I don't know. Do you think he would be? Possibly, because they they revisit some of the other chefs or they take some of the other chefs with them. It just depends. Oh. They they put in a lot of clips. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the show. I am literally in love with this show. And me and Johnny have had many conversations before we had even podcast. We talked about David Chang before. And I always was a big fan of him because I thought that he was just a normal chef that took bullshit food and put a fancy twist on it and charged people lots of money. That's what I thought, too. And that's why I didn't like him because I was like, he's getting famous and he's making a fried chicken sandwich. And it was crack. Yeah, it's good. No rules. (laughs) He, I mean, he's like one of those ghetto entrepreneurs. You yeah. know, that takes any product that he sees, whips it together, makes it taste delicious, and then is like, that's right, motherfucker, you owe me $87,000. And I think my issue with it was back when I was a little bit more against him, I was in my phase where I was really into aesthetics and like, that's what, like, <laughs> you're super into fancy plating and yeah, like cleanness, you know, and the cleanliness clean and flavors. Like, you know, and it's, it's weird to see something like that just be so popular and then at the same time be so expensive and then I realized like oh you know it's making it's homage homage or whatever to to shitty food but at the same time it's done the right way and how it should taste and stuff like that and I understand that you know it's not always about aesthetics it's about flavor now I respect that and I think that it's you know something that I could definitely stand behind because I feel that especially working at my restaurant where I work now because it's not really about aesthetics and sometimes we try to do that but we're not like tweezer based or anything like that we make good food taste good and we send it out and it looks delicious but it doesn't look you know there's no flowers or anything on it yeah I mean there's a place and a time for everything yeah and he has had the he has had the opportunity to do what he likes I don't think he necessarily cared if he got famous or popular. He just liked to cook the food that he would like to eat. Yeah. So people managed to get on board with that. And it's inspired a lot of people. It has. And that's why I'm starting to like him because I'm noticing that 
the things that he did in the past and what he's attached to now that I know that he's a part of it. Like Lucky Peach, I wasn't really aware that he was a part of until about a year ago. And then I was like, oh shit, I didn't even realize that. And now I'm like, oh, he's like a super entrepreneur. The fact that he got his Momofuku into Yankee Stadium, that's like big deal stuff because now you see chefs out here doing that exact same thing. And it's it's the best way to be because you're like, okay, when you go out to see a sporting event, what's the worst part of going to see a sporting event is like exaggerated prices on really, Beer really shitty. Dogs. Yeah. $12 hot dogs. If you're going to pay $12, you might as well get a really good hamburger or hot dog or like something that's like made with love and care and, you know, has like good ass flavors on it because you're getting drunk and you're going to be willing to spend it. I would spend money on that Momofuku chicken sandwich if I was drunk. It's not, Momofuku is not that expensive. No, and it's not that expensive and that's the best part about the it. The thing about it is is the ingredients that he's using are cheap. Yeah. It's this execution is what, what the reason why he charges so much for it. I wanted to talk about also his style of fusion of him taking a bunch of different types of of styles of cooking, different regions of cooking, and throwing them on one plate and being able to get away with that. A lot of the complaints that I hear from people about David Chang is there's no, he doesn't cook one style of food. Yeah, he doesn't. But I feel like everything comes back to his Korean. He's Korean, right? Yeah, that's the base of a lot of his food. Yeah. That's what he likes. Yeah. He likes Korean food. And, and I feel like you can see it a lot in his food. But the thing is, is I don't follow him that much. So I don't really know much about him other than, you know, what I've learned in the past year. And what I, about the first season of um, Art of the Chef? Mind of, Mind of, Mind Chef? of Chef. I liked that. But that also made me angry because everything about that was like dirty cooking. And I, that went against everything that I was taught. Like dirty cooking doesn't get you this recognition. Being like this gets you this recognition. And then you see somebody doing dirty cooking, getting recognition in the not not in the food scene, in the culinary scene. It's different. Yeah, but it's you know? very, very different. And so you see that. He's not a Michelin rated chef. No, but you see it he like you see people be, like Michelin rated but he, chefs. But he fucks with all those chefs. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what you see. And you're like, wait, how was that even approached? I was told that that's like, that's family meal. Like if anything. Well, and that, but he stated that. So when he first got his opportunity to uh, branch out on his own and make his own dishes, he worked at some, uh, some nicer places. Yeah. And the only time he ever got to cook the kind of food that he liked and he wanted was during family meal. So what happened is, is he's cooking family meal for his coworkers, and they were like, what is this? This is crack. Where did you come up with this? And he's like, this is the type of food that I like to eat. And basically what it is, it's a trash can. It's a trash can, yeah. He would go kitchen in the fr- Yeah, it's a kitchen sink dish. I he- call that my chef's dirty pot. <laughs> <laughs> but he does it better than anyone else I've ever, I've, I've ever seen do it. Yeah, I mean, he does it. He does it. The and he right takes way. all styles. Yeah. And the thing about it is, he's working these nice restaurants. And so he'd use their product, but then always fuse it with like just dirt. Korean style. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's what's cool. And the funny thing about that is, is like, I think the new craze right now is Turkey and the Wolf in New Orleans. It's the sandwich shop. It's re- It looks really, really good. But from what I've heard, rumor wise, is that's how that started is this guy made, worked at a good restaurant, made really, really good family meals and just like dirty ass sandwiches with like chips and stuff in it. And then they were like, 
like, you should, you should make this a restaurant. And he made it a restaurant. And now it's like one of the most popular sandwich restaurants down there. They like, they do a fried bologna sandwich with potato chips on it. And like, that's like a hot seller. I got you know? one. And yeah. I have a, so I have a basic on Texas toast. I have a mortadella on there. Mm-hmm. It's not bologna. I have mustard, ketchup, garlic, aioli. And American cheese with seven different types of potato chips on it. And I've had more people come up to me and ask who the fuck created that sandwich. And I said, I mean, I, I'm the one that that's put like it on. a classic white trash that's sandwich. That's what I said. I said, I put it on the menu, but by no means is this like uh, reinventing the wheel. And I've, had, and I've had people hug me and be like. It's like putting hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. Yeah, something. but they're like. They're like, I, I just can't believe somebody put this on their menu. This is like what I cook at home. And I'm like, yeah. And sometimes you don't have the ingredients to make that at home because you're not always sitting at home with a stack of bologna and cheese and aiolis and stuff. People are, are super, super, duper psyched about it, even though it's a trashy, and, shitty sandwich. Yeah. And that's what food's coming to now is where people are wanting to go out to eat that. You know, they're like, oh, you know, like when I order out for when I'm at home, and I don't want to cook. I'm not like, oh, you know what I want? I want a filet mignon steak and potatoes and asparagus. No, I'm like, I want a Philly cheesesteak, you know? Or like, I want some tacos. And that's what I, I gravitate towards. When I, Even when I go out, like I'm like, I need something that has rice. Like sometimes I won't go out to a restaurant if they don't have rice, just because I need a side of rice. Yeah, well, I mean, they talk about, they talk about it a lot on the show and they, they talk about when when a sh- I, I, the show the reason why I love the show so much is because it reminds me a lot of the aspect the way that we talk on this show. Yeah, there's so many different episodes on there where they cover the same exact issues. Now the show is obviously recorded. If you listen to this show, if you're a fan of this show and you watch Ugly Delicious, you can tell exactly when the timeline of each thing on that show was recorded because every single issue on that show, we have covered it in on our show at the time it happened. But ours comes out weekly. It yeah. took them six, seven, eight, nine, 12 months to record. Yeah, so that one episode's season. in like the winter. Exactly. <laughs> so, one episode they talk about uh, when the lady that started cooking, it wasn't carne asada out of her place in Philadelphia. What was she cooking? I have no idea. But remember, they were, she's married to her husband, but they want to deport her. But she had, she won an, uh, like best, uh, oh. you know, best 50 restaurants in the United States. Yeah, I remember and her. And she's an immigrant who started cooking out of her house and they wanted to port her. And she makes some of the best um, like, like uh, Mexican food in the United States, but yet she might be getting sent back to Mexico. But he covers a lot of the same situations and topics that we cover here on the show. And that's how you know it's from a, a true industry leader. And that's why I like David Chang. I don't look at him as a fancy frou-frou chef. I think I could sit around and hang a with chef him for the people. and have a beer with him and not necessarily be scared with him in the kitchen. I'm sure he's just like other, other chefs. He talks about when he's cooking at home with his mom or his friends, he wants to yell like, yo, we can cook cleaner. What the fuck? It's a mess in this kitchen. But then again, he's like, this isn't my kitchen. These people don't work for me. They can make a mess if they want. I just cook like to cook cleaner. Uh, yeah, and I think the funny thing about that statement in general is that I feel like if you cook professionally and 
in any sense. When you cook at home, you're like, you see other people and you're like, I don't understand how you're working like this. You can work, but it's like having somebody green in the kitchen when you're outside of the kitchen. Yeah, I had a new guy in the kitchen last week, and I, I loved his enthusiasm, and I liked working with him, but I tried to explain to him, like, you can't sit there and wait while, you cannot wait while your food is cooking. You have to find something else to do. Your hands always need to be moving. So if you're, if you move across the kitchen or move down to one end, either it has to be with purpose. You have to take something with you that you're going to set off, uh, wipe something down. It doesn't matter. Just make sure your hands are moving. So in particular, the reason why I'm like, he reminds me of a chef that you can uh, go out and grab a beer with. Yeah. He's not going to, um, he's not a suit like, like Grand Assange or like Thomas Keller or like Rene Redzepi, like those guys, they're so serious. Yeah. They're so scary. They're so intimidating. It's like, you know, I, I, I would be afraid to show them one of my dishes. No, yeah, totally. Because they'd be, they'd critique, they're like the type of people that critique even on their off. But I feel like he, like David Chamberlain, like, I, I like what you're going with. I like where, where your mind is at. Um, this is kind of what I would do with it. You know, he, he doesn't, his, his kind of cooking that he does doesn't seem unobtainable. Yeah. And I also feel like, I mean, I, now that he's coming out with all these shows and he's like on TV, um, you know, doing the daily show and, all that stuff. I feel like he's our generations and people are going to be like, well, he's still alive, but our generation's Anthony Bourdain. And it's true. Um, you know, he's kind of our food journalist for the now times and what's happening now. You know, Bourdain has gone from being very into the uh, straight up culinary industry and now it's moving more towards like street food, international food and all that stuff. Travel. Traveling and stuff like that. And David Chang is more of like what's going on at home, but what's happening in the food industry here in America. Um and he's doing it in the same sort of aspect, but adding a little bit of things. Like I love the animation in his shows and stuff like that and kind of making it more like a comic book or like live magazine or something like that. Well, he really embraces like his status as being like half and half. Yeah. Like he feels like he's not an American. He doesn't feel like he's Korean. He feels like an outcast, like a lot of second or first generation people that live here who are in the culinary industry. Yeah. And at home, their parents are, I mean, are cooking like a Latino, Latin style, uh, Asian. And then they step out into the culinary world. And it's French technique. It's Italian technique. Yeah. It's like, I like both these things. And what he's saying is that's okay. Yeah, it's okay to like those types. It's okay to mix those things. Throw the rules out the window. Mm-hmm. Do what you like, as long as it tastes fucking fire. Well, you know the funny thing is, is we're, like I always can tie something back to Junbei because it's exactly how I feel right now, and it's why I'm working at Junbei because I had the opportunity to work at Solare. Which is more of the fancier, you know, kind of like delicious, delicious, but tasting, you know, more things. But I wanted to work at a place that was a little bit more loose. And I noticed that at 
June Baby, we have a lot of fun. Like we do all these things that are kind of like dirty pots and stuff like that. But we use our techniques and stuff like our southern rice right now is a coconut southern rice. We have fennel in the rice. And you're like, how do you get fennel in the rice without you tasting fennel in the rice? It's like, well, we brunoise the fennel. You know, we turn it, we just mince it super fine and then we get it in there and we emulsify it and we toast that, that rice off and cook it with coconut oil. And then we have like fresh conch in there and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's interesting to have that down home Southern food going out to tables, but at the same time, like having that refined element to it, like having our oxtails with roasted root vegetables. And then we have a consomme at the bottom of it. But at the same time, that's still that you still get that homey soup, you know, feeling when you eat it. Um, it's, it's what I like to do now. And I realized that like, if I ever opened a restaurant like, that's how I want to cook. Dirty style. Dirty style. Well, before we move on uh, from David Chang to another story, I just want to touch base on him understanding that sometimes the way that he cooks and his style of food, it it sometimes needs to change. He he doesn't want to stick to what made him famous and what made him popular. Um, he op- recently opened up Momofuku in D.C., and he, after two years of being open, he finally got rid of his ramen and his pork buns that he's so famous for, that that exact restaurant is famous for. Basically, uh, he, he wasn't trusting his gut anymore, and he didn't think the rest—he thought the restaurant should be something totally different. It was boring to him. He had done this before. He wasn't, like, advancing the name of Momofuku. It was basically stagnant. And it was just its own little, yeah, it was like, oh, you go there to get ramen, ramen and, and pork buns, pork buns, yeah, which are amazing. So he, and he's a busy, busy guy. He's got, I don't know, he's got Momofuku's in Vegas now. He's all over the place, you know, he's filming this show. So basically he needed to hire somebody else. And he decided on a chef named uh, Taste Train, uh, who has cooked all over the place, but recently he was at The Progress in San Francisco, which I've heard of, never been there before. The funny thing about it is Tay uh, Strain had grown up being a huge, huge, huge fan of David Chang. And David Chang had went to the restaurant in San Francisco and asked about who made, you know, who wrote this menu, who is this kid, and offered him a job and uh, brought him out to D.C. and said, listen, man, I uh, really want you to go ahead and just destroy my menu, rip the thing apart, put it back together with your own twist on it, and let's see what you come up with. So... I congratulate David Chang on realizing that you you don't have to be there all the time. Yeah. You can put your your restaurant in the hands of somebody else that's capable and they can do great things. You don't have to micromanage them. Well, that's the that's the point and I think that's like I was watching that uh, 42 grams documentary a few weeks ago and he was like nowadays when you go to a restaurant uh, you don't get the chef, you get the sous chef or you know the the CDC or something like that and the chef is out doing something else and it's like doesn't that suck like if you were to go out to a concert and you wanted to see like you know he said some rock band and he's like and they did their understudies would you be upset and I'm like I totally understand what you're saying in that sort of sense but that's comparing apples to oranges because like it's not necessarily uh, comparing apples to oranges because uh, there's a documentary also out called Hired Guns the lineups for a lot of these bands change constantly 
just like kitchens, change constantly. It's still the same lyrics. It's still the same guitar riffs, but they're being executed by somebody else. That's interesting. I would have to watch that documentary to see what you're talking about because I, I understand. Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, right? Trent yeah. Reznor. He is Nine Inch Nails, but yeah. he hires people to play different Other. stuff. No, yeah. And that's totally that's totally he acceptable. creates everything. Yeah, but what if you went to go see him specifically and he had another guy singing his lyrics and doing that stuff? Wouldn't it be kind of upsetting? You know, because you're like, like, okay. MF so let's D- say MF Doom does it. Yeah, but that's that's fine. And they get hell you know, pissed. Yeah, I'm sure they do. But like, what if you were like, I'm gonna go see Beyonce, and it was like a Beyonce lookalike, and you're like, I'm not seeing Beyonce right now. I just spent six hundred thousand dollars to see the Queen, but it's like it's different in the kitchen and. What I'm trying to say is, is that like we want to uplift the person under us because that's the next generation and that's what's going to keep this industry alive and going strong is that we have people rising up to the occasion to be badasses and in this industry that's interchanging and like becoming something completely different than what it used to be even five years ago. You can only teach so many somebody so much and that's why a lot of people in, in the industry don't stay... They don't stay at a restaurant for too long. Well, now I'm noticing like it's like six months to a year is like the minimum is like the minimum. And I'm like, it used to be like two years, three years. I always say the minimum is a year. Yeah. The minimum is a year. And if you have feel like you're not moving up or learning anything new, you need to get the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, no disrespect to any of you out there that are in the industry and have been in a place for three or four years. Even if sometimes when you make it up to head chef. Or CDC, and you've been there five years, and your chef isn't giving you any more responsibility, and you're just running the place for them. That sucks. You, it's either time to open up a new spot or find somebody else to, or move to a new restaurant. Yeah, that's exactly what it I is. I mean, at that point, it's time to just get that food truck action going. Get that food truck action, chef. The thing about it is, is that if you are a, a restaurateur or a chef owner, and you want to open up a new establishment. You still need to leave somebody in charge who is competent enough to execute your vision for the restaurant, and you need to focus your time on a different place. You're going to be there a lot. You're going to be creating new recipes, designing menus, teaching the staff, uh, your your staff of chefs, sous chef, CDC, uh, Demi, juniors, all that stuff. You have to give up the reins a little bit. You have to have faith and trust in, in other people in the kitchen. And I think that's a failure of some chefs that I've known is they try to be in the kitchen too much and not understand that your team is capable of. It may not be your exact idea of what a plate should be or taste like. That does not mean it's not any less des- delicious than what it is. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, kitchens have always been schools. A lot of people are raised in kitchens and that's why. Learning on the fly. They learn on the fly and that's why they are able to do so much more in the industry at younger ages is because instead of going to culinary school, they went, you know, and worked apprentice at some place for a little bit and wash dishes and went, moved their way up like a lot of us have. But I feel like even more so now is they're starting to be vessels more so 
than schools. Like they'll teach you, but now it's like, here's a vessel for a new up and coming chef. You have this format, you have this dining room, you have this kitchen, you have this product, and I want you to put your own twist on it. Like, I feel like it's the age of the special, you know, like everybody's making a special. That's how I, well, that's, I mean, that's how I first learned. That's my, was my first, when I first worked, when I worked at Carmo Station, Mm -hmm. before I, you know, moved on up, you know, uh, all my old chef, shout out Chris Hartfield. Uh, he'd be like, I want you to put something on the menu next week. Yeah. I'll get, I'll, here's the order guide, order whatever you want. We'll price it out. You run it by me. Let me taste some things and I'll give you some tips. And you, and that's, you know, that's why I got my first special on the menu. It makes you super proud. You want to tell all your friends, come down and eat it. Some do, some don't, some like it, some don't. It doesn't matter. It gives you confidence. Yeah. When your chef believes in you, it really is an amazing, amazing, amazing feeling. Remember back at Oddfellows when we used to have, there was one person that would make the special every week. And if it didn't have black garlic and preserved lemon in it, it wasn't the daily special. Oh my God. You remember when we did pasta with the, butter, preserved lemon and black garlic? They, they want to preserve lemon on everything. It was crazy. I think they're probably still doing it up there. Oh too. my God. It's insane. I was like, why are you spending so much money on black garlic? Harlem agrees. Grill, how long steak, mister? Two minutes. Two minutes. Thank you. Uh, we're going to close the show out with a small little history lesson uh, that Johnny is going to teach us. I'm going to take care of uh, his baby while he uh, teaches us. <laughs> so if you guys haven't heard, Zagat, it sold itself to, um, I can't remember. It's called like something with an I. I thought Google. No, Google had it before, and then they sold it to another, um, like kind of like a blog called Infatuation, known for its hashtags, eats with hella ease. And uh, supposedly they sometimes have racist restaurant reviews. So that's interesting that they bought it. And supposedly they bought it because they're like, Zagat holds a name in every household, um, and it has for years. And anyway, so it brought this article about, about Zagat and Eater, and it was basically giving you the history of Zagat. And so in the 1980s, um, there were these two people married to each other and their last names were Zagat, obviously. Um, They were two lawyers and from New York City and they were having dinner with some friends and their friends were complaining about um, this like local brochure that had the restaurants in it and how bad the reviews were because they would go to these restaurants and these brochures and they would basically find out that the restaurant sucked. Um, And they were like, we should come up with our own little thing. probably like a pay to play. uh, Yeah. Exactly. Brochure. So after, you know, having a dinner party, they kind of got together and um, put together these like little reviews and kind of became America's own Michelin guide. They would come up, they would go to these restaurants, they would eat at these restaurants, they would give them reviews and they self-published published themselves and they, you know, came out with, you know, 5,000, 10,000 copies of their own book and they would stick it into, you know, like newspapers and stuff like that or into mailboxes and kind of just like give them out to people. Where did this start? Um, New York. New York. Yeah. So it got like super, super, super big and like everybody started reading these and going to these places and they started to get some national press and they got to travel and everybody want, everybody wanted to, um, 
get on this Zagat thing. What happened was, is like in the 1995, Saturday Night Live had a sketch with Chris Farley dressed as a woman, obviously. <laughs> so they say, but uh, he, him and his partner at the time um, in the sketch were going to all these restaurants and it kind of made it like super really ridiculously popular. Like Chris Farley likes Zagat. Then the tech technology age came and internet started happening and popping off. They still had a lot of viewers, but places like Yelp and Open Table started popping up. They had a way more accessible... Uh, I remember back before technology, if you saw Zagat rated on a window... Oh yeah, you'd be like, oh, this oh, is good. This, this is, is good this spot. This is crack. And yeah. you could look in a Zagat guide and it'd be rated. Yeah. And it was kind of like a tourist guide to going to other places. You could like pop into some place and be like, oh, let me get the Zagat guide. And it was your... an honest opinion. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because it's just like places like Yelp started popping up and people were getting more into the, you know, the digital age than they were with the paperback. It's funny because I was actually reading an article about how Amazon is moving to France to open up a technology, you know, grocery store for them. They were mentioning that. Amazon used to be a bookstore. Do you remember that Amazon was a bookstore? I totally forgot that it started off as strictly a place to buy random books. And now you can watch TV and do all this other stuff. And so it's interesting to see how the digital age really, you either have to conform to it or you have to just sell sell off your, your business, which is what they did. So they sold their business and now they're, they're living happily ever after, I guess you could say. Nothing's gonna happen with Zagat. It's not gonna, it's gonna keep its own name. It's its own business. Um, if they wanna continue to do what Zagat does, they will continue to do what Zagat does. But infatuation really has no outlet for Zagat. They just wanted the intellectual property, it seems like. That's all we really wanted to talk about. Thank you for your uh, history of the Zagat guide, Johnny. I appreciate it. I'm sure the uh, many listeners out there enjoy the history, too, of the Zagat guide. Uh, that's going to bring us to the ingredient of the week. We did not do one last week. So, uh, Johnny, what are we going to be doing this week? Um, in memoriam. <laughs> it's like, no, uh, in the style of David Chang, we will be doing fried rice. That's right. So I will be going first. Uh, I've been eating a lot of fried rice lately because as some of you may know, I'm kind of on a diet or I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier. So I've been eating a lot of rice lately. Uh, I have plenty of leftover meat and leftover vegetables. Um, so this is style of David Chang, super dirty. Uh, basically what you want to do is I like my rice to be uh, kind of a little bit harder. Um, so at least a day old. It's got to be at least a day old rice. You cannot use fresh rice. Whatever you have in your fridge. Uh, I like onions and peppers, but any other vegetables will do. So you're going to need uh, whatever vegetables you have, some leftover meat. I never use fresh meat. Um, and I kind of been eating this for like lunch or whatever. I wake up midday. Uh, you want to use a wok. You can get any kind of pan, and you want to put a little oil in there. Uh, you want something to have something that has a high smoke point, maybe canola oil. Uh, put a tablespoon in there. You're going to drop your onions in there. Uh, get them nice and translucent. You're going to throw whatever vegetables you have that are leftovers from the night before. You're going to toss those in there. Um, you're going to get some color on there. You want to throw in some garlic in there. Add a couple, couple other seasoning, maybe some ginger, uh, whatever you have. Uh, put it in there. Toss that around, and then usually I take my vegetables out, and I would add my meat. So whatever leftover meat you have, if you're having it for breakfast, you want to make it a breakfast dish. Put some bacon in there, or whatever. That bacon's gonna go great. Uh, the fat 
that renders off is going to go great with your fried rice. Uh, so you want to heat your meat back up, and then you want to toss your rice back in there. And you want to salt. Heat your meat just made me laugh. Heat, heat that meat up. Heat your meat. So you want to get that up, uh, toss your rice in there. Uh, I wouldn't break up my clumps yet. Just leave it nice and clumpy, toss it around, get it nice and coated in the oils and the flavor of the vegetables that's in there. And then you want to break an egg, one egg, two eggs, depending on uh, how big, how much rice you have left over, how many people you're serving. Um, and you want to scramble those eggs uh, before you break up the clumps, right? So scramble them up, break up your clumps, toss your uh, vegetables that you had uh, sauteed up earlier back in there. Give everything a nice toss. Add a little bit of vinegar in there, whatever kind of vinegar, vinegar you want. Add your salt and pepper to it. Uh, maybe some scallions, whatever, parsley, arugula, spinach, whatever you'd like. Toss it. Make sure your eggs are cooked through. Not too much, but just enough. And uh, pour that shit on a plate and you are good to go, you guys. All right, Johnny, what do you got next? All right. Well, I'm going to do um, kind of like a take on, I guess, a Spanish fried rice just because I really like Spanish flavors and I eat rice a lot, but I usually eat Spanish rice. Um, but anyway, what I'm going to do is start with a medium onion and um, a whole red bell pepper and um, one clove of garlic. And I'm going to dice all those up and I'm going to throw that in a pan and get it nice and sweated with a little bit of salt, a little bit of paprika, cayenne, a little cumin, um, a little bit of chili powder, a little bit of coriander, uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff's going in here, a little bit of uh, garlic and onion powder in there. And you're just going to stir that up and get it nice and aromatic, maybe even a little bit of fennel just because I love fennel. Um, once you get that good and going, you're going to toss in your day-old rice. Uh, as Robbie said, one day old is the best. I like to use um, batsmati rice because I eat batsmati a lot. And it's it's better for me because it's uh, single grain when you cook it. So you can act, it doesn't like, you don't have those big soggy clumps. You can actually get, it's more like a pilaf to me. So you'll toss that in there, stir that up. Um, if you want any more vegetables, I really only eat onions and peppers <laughs> to be honest with you but uh you know some people would throw you know some other stuff in there i would add some spicy sausage um some old chicken because i usually have chicken drumsticks in the oven or in the fridge and then you know a couple eggs um i would scramble my eggs in a bowl first before i dump them in there because i hate when people scramble whole eggs in a pan it drives me nuts i'm like you got a little white here you got a little yellow there <laughs> it's like I want the flavor of everything. It's so good. No, I hate it. I hate when people make scram just like straight up scrambled eggs and they just crack eggs into a pan and scramble them in the pan. I'm just like, that is not what's up. Um, but yeah, and then uh, serve that with fresh cilantro and some lime wedges. Super fire. Super, super fire. Johnny, thank you for your version of uh, fried rice. That's going to bring us to the end of episode 98 of Grill How Long Steak, mister. It's resting. It's resting. Thank you. Uh, if you want to visit my social medias, you can visit, visit me at Instagram at Bobby Stills. Uh, you can visit uh, Johnny at uh, Johnny Tsunami. Johnny Tsunami. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Facebook, it's going to be... 
Uh, Grill How Long Steak Mister. If you want to get us at Instagram, it's going to be at Grill How Long Steak Mister. If you want to see us on Twitter, it's going to be at How Long Steak Mister. Uh, any questions or comments, uh, show topics you'd like to hear us discuss, uh, email us at grillhowlongsteakmister at gmail.com. And that's Mr. MR. I'd like to thank the Soundcasting Network and Studio 212 for allowed us, allowing us to record here. Super producer Keith is not here today, but uh, we still love you, and we'll see you next week, guys. Peace. Grill. How long steak, mister? Five minutes out. Eat a dick, bitch.